Hello and welcome into the first edition of the Sideline Guys powered by GameBridge in 2024 alongside Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boylan. You are listening to this perhaps on a Wednesday, perhaps later in the week. We appreciate when you do. Uh, But we are taping this on a Tuesday, which is officially one Jeremiah Johnson's birthday. So happy birthday to you and your gift from the Pacers is plenty of positivity here to talk about this week on the podcast. Absolutely, Pat. There's nothing negative to talk about right now. It's all uh, sunshine and roses, and I'm happy to do so. The Pacers have won four straight. It's been interesting uh, going into Christmas. Things felt a little on edge. You wondered if they'd rebound, and they have, and it's certainly important to do so when you look at the January schedule. And this will be a topic of discussion here coming up. January's flat-out brutal, and it started brutal with two games against the Bucs, but the Pacers winning the first one in in Milwaukee, I think, sets a nice tone not only for the month it clinches the season series against the bucks i mean you know how many years did would we have taken one win uh in the entire season against milwaukee and here the pacers already have three uh a lot has happened here in the last week as you said most of them positive some trends uh defensively that i think are very good some trends from your star point guard that are very very good but let's just talk with the most recent here that game in milwaukee you know after the pacers uh, got the first couple against the bucks i figured those next two in milwaukee were going to be perhaps two of the toughest games all year and the pacers did lose the First game in Milwaukee, um, got down by 15 points right away on uh, on Monday, and you got me thinking. You know, all right, this is Milwaukee doing what they do. They've won nine of their last ten. They've had the look since they lost to the Pacers in the in-season tournament. Nine and one, second best record in the NBA. They've looked every bit a part of the championship contender that I think they thought they would be when they made this trade. They're up by 15 points in the first quarter. I'm thinking this is this is going to be really, really challenging for the Pacers to even give themselves a shot. Not only did they give themselves a shot, they fell down by 15 again in the second half and made a comeback. And, and look, this season is kind of marked by some really spectacular wins. I mean, I'd have to go back and look, but it feels like the Pacers already have as many signature wins this year as they've had in other years where they've made the playoffs. Of course, it's also been marked by more losses to teams near the bottom that you would like, but uh, there's a lot to choose from here, but given (laughs) circumstances, you might put this win at the very top of the list. When Quinn Buckner joined me on Pacers Live postgame show, we had one last comment or thought before we went to a commercial break, before we would hear from Rick Carlisle. And I threw that out because he, he hinted that it was such a big win and he doesn't say those things lightly or without merit. And so I said at least top three and considering the circumstances that you mentioned, I might say one or two. I mean, obviously to win that home game against Boston, I I still am going to always go back to that as a really important step for the franchise to get the fan base excited to get into that in-season tournament and to play a Boston team that even though they didn't have Kristaps Porzingis, they were, I mean, they, they weren't letting up. They were giving it their absolute best effort. They wanted to get that in-season tournament trip to Las Vegas. And the Pacers said, not in our house. And so that's going to be probably tough to top, but I could put this one second or third easily. And it's some of the things that you mentioned, but part of it is just doing it in a different way. I love the way they defended Giannis Adetokounmpo. And by playing them so many times in a, in a short period of time, it has a little bit of a playoff feel with those adjustments from game to game. It's not like a true best of seven series where you play every other night. However, the games are fresh in the, in the Pacers' minds. And so you almost don't even need to watch the film you remember what happened when Giannis scored 64. And let's be honest, it was really a 50-point night that yeah. they stepped on the accelerator to get him the franchise re- or his career high. And then they stepped on the accelerator again when, when Ben Shepard hit a couple of threes. And that is what caused all of the problems that no one seems to want to talk about. But I digress. Uh, it, the Pacers made some adjustments so Giannis could not approach 50. Uh, it was just... Fascinating defense. There are some clips going around on 
on social media today, Caitlin Cooper, always does a great job. She she gets plenty of praise, but she had a screen grab of Pacers defending Giannis in 2023 and 2024. And I love the three players just out between the three-point arc and, and the free throw line sort of building a wall. And you're making his opponents beat you. Now, it's a lot more difficult when Damian Lillard's on the court than when he's not. And also Chris Middleton is fully capable, although I would say is a step below maybe what he was a couple of years ago. And you're daring people like Brooke Lopez and Malik Beasley to beat you. Uh, Brooke Lopez, his stat line, I think, was better than it actually looked like in person. Some of the shots that he missed uh, were awkward and unorthodox. But he's still, I think, he, well, I don't have the box score in front of me. When I looked up in the fourth quarter, I felt like he was around 17 points. So um, you're going you're gonna to live with that. You'd rather him do that. And how about this, Pat? The bench scoring, phenomenal. But the way the Pacers got to the free throw line, they had 17 free throw attempts in the second quarter. You're our resident statistician during games. And so I almost text you, but I thought it might be tough on short notice to say, when was the last time the Pacers had 17 free throw attempts in a quarter that wasn't maybe fouling on purpose? I mean, right. the second quarter game, there were it wasn't any intentional fouls. It was the Pacers attacking the basket, being the aggressive team. You don't expect that, but when it happens, you, you need to be in position to take advantage of it. And that is how they overcame the three-point shooting. It just it was one of those unusual nights where if I would have told you, pose those questions for a number of storylines or a number of statistics, you maybe wouldn't have believed it. But then when you say another one, it makes sense. It's like if I would have told you the Pacers would have shot five for was it twenty-five? Five for thirty-five. Yeah. Five. Uh, five they hit five and were under 20%. So that would be more than 25 attempts. I don't have it in front of me. I think they shot 17% with five makes. Second worst <laughs> night they shot from the three-point line and tied for the few. Yeah, you, I mean, yeah, if you say you shoot 38 free throws, you're going, oh, wow, you got a pretty good chance. It depends on the, the nugget of information you're given, right? <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, if you had said to me going into this one, the Pacers were going to hit five three-pointers, and like the three-point line might be one of the two or three biggest statistics. I think uh, they're 13 and four maybe when they shoot 40%. So that tells you what they are when they don't shoot 40%. Um, it, if you would have said going into one of the best teams in the NBA's house and you hit five threes, this team, you have no chance. Now, the, <laughs> you're right. The free throw line completely made up for it. And we're taping this, I think, 20, 30 minutes after I saw an email come through that Tyrese Halliburton is player of the week. He's been like second or third, like four or five times. And, and I want to get to that. I really do, because what he's doing is so stupendous. Um, but we've known for a, quite a while now what this guy's capable of. And so before we get to that, and it's on the subject we're talking about here, I want to talk about the Pacers defensively. Because last week on the show, we said, you know, it's, it's been good. It's small sample size, and it still is. But each time we come back here in podcast and the numbers are still pretty good, uh, you get more weight behind it. They've gone two straight weeks now of playing pretty good defense. I think the Pacers rank 14th um, over their last seven games. And again, I know that doesn't jump out, uh, but for a team that was at the bottom of the NBA defensively, like that's a great number. And they've done all that while keeping their offense pretty good. It's in the top five over that time. And a stat that is, is one of the most eye-popping ones to me and one that I'm going to be watching very closely here as I was going through, how are they defensively and, and looking up some other stuff this I found very, very interesting. The Pacers over that time are 15th in pace. So this team that was sprinting up and down the floor, and I actually was surprised because it felt like the Knicks game uh, specifically was one where, uh, you know, they ran New York out of the building type game. But that's one of seven. Um, really eye-popping to me pace because I, I had some concerns that they would be able to drop the pace to, that they might drop the pace to pick up the defense, but it might cost them on offense. And we have seen them drop the pace. I think it probably has had a little bit to do um, with the opponent they've played. Also, the lineups that they're playing, Jalen Smith with the starters, you're going to probably go just a little less quick. But I would have been nervous that they could have still been a top-flight offense with the pace coming down. Um, and so far, that's been the case. And this lineup change, the starting lineup change has come 
midway through the seven-game stretch we're talking about. So you're looking at some data before, some data after. Um, Halliburton's amazing. We'll get to it. But for me, the biggest, most important thing about this season and their chances for success is could they get the defense? Can they get it out of the gutter? And at least for the last two weeks, they've done a really good job at improving. And some of that after a starting lineup change. Rick Carlisle, uh, in the time that we've been around in the last two, two to three seasons, has wanted to avoid early reactions. And he has mentioned 20 game sample sizes uh, before making evaluations. And it just felt like the highs of the in-season tournament, then the lows in the two weeks that followed, it just allowed him to have that full body of work. And when the Pacers were really good, he acknowledged they were outscoring teams. But then I think he saw, and he's he's had some really good, if you uh, have access to, I think Pacers YouTube sometimes has them, but I would say two or three of the most recent games, the Knicks game and the Chicago game specifically stand out to me as pregame media availabilities where he was asked a lot about the defense and it wasn't just coach speak. He gave a lot of information in how he sort of had to reevaluate everything. And he acknowledged then something that if you're not really focused on this season, and this is just sort of a building block type of season, maybe you just allow things to continue as they were and you don't make significant changes until the off season. But on a couple of different occasions, he mentioned when asked by reporters about not being able to win in the playoffs with the kind of defense the Pacers were playing, that, yeah, it can be fun and you can outscore teams and win a game here or there, but it's not sustainable. And so I think we're going to be looking back to that practice after the Clippers game, before the Hornets game, as being the real turning point. And that's the seven or eight game stretch that I believe you just referenced in the um, the improvement in defensive rating. Now, it's it's easy to pick and choose your spots coming off a game where the Clippers could do no wrong offensively. You obviously don't want to include that in your stretch, but it is also when some real changes happen. They didn't change the starting lineup the next game, but and I'm not a, an expert enough on what they're doing, nor would I even necessarily want to share everything that I see in this platform, but they made some changes they they were open and honest with the players during that practice. And this is another thing that Rick Carlisle said. I heard him say it even again this morning on his um, 107.5 The Fan weekly radio appearance about we had to tell guys that defense was going to matter and we're going to play lineups and combinations and make decisions based on a defensive goal, not just continuing to be number one in the league in offense. Because as good as they've been offensively, there are also other teams that have been really good offensively as well. I heard some of the Bucks people talking about the last 16 or 17 games. They were the number one offensive team. And, and of the last – in NBA history, there are now seven or eight teams who are in the top ten all time in offensive rating. So while the Pacers are playing phenomenal offensive basketball, they're by no means alone. And so if you get matched up with one of these other teams that's also – awesome offensively the game will be decided on who can get stops and the Pacers have seen the really good defensive teams let's let's say let's um highlight the Timberwolves and the Magic and the times the Pacers have played them have been top two or three at least in the league in defensive rating and the Pacers have really struggled and so I think all of those things together have had given enough of a body of work for the coaching staff to make a decision for the pay the players to acknowledge and understand and accept that Yes, you know, things were going well. The team had some really high moments, got a lot of positive attention. They've arrived on a level that maybe people didn't expect from this season. But let, you can do better. You can make improvements. You actually can get defensive stops. The personnel isn't such, and we've said this how many times, Pat, it's not a top 10 defensive team as currently constructed. But that's not really the goal. It, you can't be 30th. You can't be 28th or 29th. Right. And over that stretch from the Clippers game, they've been playing really good defense. They've made some adjustments. Maybe they've gotten out a little bit um, from some of the principles that they were trying to pound home during training camp in the preseason and the first month of the season about less help and guarding your man. That's okay. 20, 30, 25, 30 games in, 
you decide, okay, this is what we do better. And the help that they provided on Giannis, while also you're, you're willing to give up some of those shots against the Bucks, but as long as you can quickly get back, it's still just a little bit of a don't relax mentally, physically. It's, it's still a little bit of an effort thing because you, you don't have to give the guy that you've helped off of a wide open shot. You can still challenge him. And yeah, the Bucks had an off shooting night as well. They'll probably make a higher percentage when they come to Gamebridge Fieldhouse, but the Basers probably will as well. Keep Giannis to around 30 points and limit the free throw attempts. They did such a great job of showing the wall, and then if he got through the wall or if he got close to the basket, and straight up, don't let the referee have an easy out. And he has an easy out, he or she has an easy out if your hands drop down, mm-hmm. and we hear it a lot of times on the broadcast, Quinn will say it, and it's not a new term, but you know, get your hands caught in the cookie jar. It's an automatic foul against a guy like Damian Lillard or Giannis Adetokounmpo if they feel your hands get down on their wrist or hand, even near there, they're going to put their hand on your hand, and then they're going to get a foul. And unfortunately, that's a little bit of the way it is right now in the NBA. But if your hands are straight up and they are not downward moving, they're not going to call a foul. And how many times did we see – I mean, I remember one specifically, Benedict Matherin, he did the old Roy Hibbert verticality while Giannis was about ready to try to dunk it. And it was a dangerous type of move, but he didn't <laughs> get the foul call. And so uh, just we saw a lot of things defensively we did not see in the first four Pacers-Bucks games. And it was a joy to watch. And I'll see, we'll see what happens in round five. It's so crazy to say that uh, before game 33 that it's the fifth time the Pacers and Bucks will play. They'll get it all out in this uh, five-game series, and who knows? At this point, I would almost be surprised if we don't see these two playing again in a playoff series, and what what a treat that would be. Yeah, it seems like it certainly could happen with, you know, where both teams are right now. I think it's something worth watching, but, you know, at the the end of the day, the Pacers won a game against a really good team on the road, and I would argue that their defense got it done maybe even slightly more than their offense. This is not something I, I think I've ever done, but just to, you know, kind of try to display that if you just look at every team's last singular game around the NBA, which is just taking the Milwaukee game into account. Uh, the Pacers last night, when you look at everybody else's last game, were 12th offensively and 11th defensively. So you can use that measure to say the Pacers defense was you know, perhaps slightly better than their offense was, which is just it would have been wild to say that the Pacers would win a game that way against a good team on the road. Hopefully it's a good omen for the future. Later in this podcast, we will discuss, I think, the month of January here, because there's been, if you follow this team all year, there's been kind of an interesting ebb and flow, right? The Pacers uh, get off to a, a good stretch, are feeling good. They fall back down to earth. They get up, they come down, they go up, they come down. And to their credit, every time they come down, they've been resilient. I admittedly was pretty worried with where this group was around Christmas because of how tough January was. And let's be honest, the end of December, pretty tough too. And they've responded not only with four wins, but um, with a pretty tough schedule to get there. Now, can they withstand it? Can they hold it? I mean, you've got Milwaukee coming up again, and then you've got Atlanta, and then you've got Boston a couple times, and then you hit the road for a monstrous road trip. I mean, this, uh, unfortunately, the schedule itself might force the Pacers back down to earth, even if they're playing well. But I think that's something really to watch. And how much time have we spent on this podcast this year describing things that Tyrese Halliburton has done that only a handful of other guys in NBA history have done? But that's been the case this week. Back-to-back games with 20 points, 20 assists. By now, anybody listening has probably heard that only Magic Johnson and John Stockton had done that. Uh, just the second ever 20 assists, zero turnover game, Chris Paul, uh, right there, Johnson, Stockton, Paul, you're talking about three of the top five or six point guards. I mean, it's really wherever you put Paul, uh, of all time that he's been in the conversation of, and he's been knocking on that door. It feels like he had so many good weeks. And then one specific player had like a career week during that stretch and kind of forced Halliburton into second or third, but an extremely deserving Eastern Conference player of the week and one that maybe is a little bit more notable in that a week and a half ago, we were talking about 
a little bit of a slump he was in. And now we're talking about him doing things that only the greatest in the league have ever done. And what have we seen since the in-season tournament? It was a storyline that was, it almost felt a little bit like low-hanging fruit, but you did see a numbers dip. You saw more teams pressuring, doubling Tyrese Halliburton all over the court, and you wondered how he would adjust to that. And I didn't express great concern, and we talked about this a lot, because he can do so many things. He can shoot, he can pass, he can drive, and you can't take everything away. Some of it, if if he is going to pass and you're going to completely take the ball out of his hands, then it really helps to have a guy like Andrew Nemhard healthy and available to take some of that ball handling responsibility. So we've seen him adjust. We've seen him take team's best shot. And as long as the rest of the team can be a threat outside the arc, you can't just devise an entire defense to get the ball out of Halliburton's hands. And there are ways that he can pass it and he can get it back in the right spots and we saw a little bit of that uh, against Milwaukee Um, it's been a phenomenal week I felt a little guilty in three consecutive wins and interviewing him in the walk-off interview three consecutive times but it was almost a no-brainer we I hadn't had a chance to for a while after the Houston win then he goes for 2020 in Chicago. And I mean, a great interview that he, you know, acknowledged that he didn't think all afternoon he was going to be able to play. And I had some concerns. I was, um, our producer had texted us saying, what do you think just in terms for a planning of the, of the show? And if you were going to devote a lot of attention to him, but then say, Oh, by the way, he's out. It does. It's not the best look. You might want to go another direction. And I was a true 50, 50. I was not sure. And even Rick Carlisle, um, in Chicago, it takes a while to get from the hotel to the arena. So it was one of those things where I think he probably got to the arena about two minutes before he actually got ready to do the post or the pregame media availability. And that's when he would normally say in or out and he didn't know. And I did look out and see him warming up. So I felt kind of good about it. But backs are a crazy thing. I mean, I've had back spasms that I'd knock me out for a week and I could barely even stand up to talk, let alone play an NBA game. <laughs> and and shout out to the, the medical staff. We did a segment or we did a hit during the game in Milwaukee relaying what Tyrese has said on multiple occasions over the last week about uh, Josh Corbeil, Carl Eaton, uh, the entire group and what they have done to get him ready and what they did even in the short term. It was almost like uh, Mr. Miyagi style magic in Chicago to get that back up and going and then to be able to play uh, one of the best games of all time and then do it again. It's what makes the story almost unbelievable. And to me, you said there he was second or third, maybe in the player of the week voting other times there should be no second or third i mean i know christmas day is folded into this maybe from last week so some of the people that played well on christmas day got a lot of attention but this should have been a unanimous pick and i was waiting for the news yesterday and then i figured oh well it's it's a holiday i don't i don't know that holidays count in in sports and i was working so i don't know why they couldn't have released the player of the week uh before yesterday because if he, if he had not played well last night or the pacers had lost What's the release say? Does it say games through January 1st or the December 31st? Right. And that's what we're, I, I believe I haven't looked at the release, but I, I just saw it come through. But in a meeting this morning, the belief was that regardless, um, it, it would have just gone through like yesterday's game didn't count uh, was the general feeling in the morning. So I think he still would have won it. But you're right. It might have brought up an awkward scenario if he didn't play well. Uh, I'll see if I can't get that here. I while think we're you're going. probably right, but I would like to, you know, in an off-season recommendation to the league office, let's have somebody in to work to count the votes and, and release that news on a holiday if it comes on a Monday in the future. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So the NBA announced Tuesday Pacers guard Halliburton was Eastern Conference Player of the Week from the 25th through the 31st. So that game against Milwaukee does not count. And you would have liked to think he would have gotten it either way. But, yeah, I, I mean, finally, so this recognition comes <laughs> comes through for him because I thought he had maybe until, if I remember right, one of the final games in November, I thought he had a really good chance at Eastern Conference Player of the Month in November, despite the fact that he never won it in a week. That's how good his month was. Uh, but, the, right. but the Pacers had kind of a fallback. The Portland Team game record, I think, was 500 in November. So you're, yeah. they are going to take that into account. Right, right. Which is, you know, tough to argue that. But uh, deserving here. And I don't know, we, we've talked about his play so many times on here. It almost feels redundant to spend 
20 minutes talking about how good Tyrese Halliburton is, but you know, he's, he's continues to do things that just wow and impress. And I admit, like, I don't remember a whole lot of the fourth quarter against the Knicks because I spent the whole time down on my computer trying to <laughs> every, of every permutation possible. And we've got a group chat that goes with different stats and nuggets and ideas. And I'm, I'm sending Slack messages to sport radar and I'm, I'm trying to look things up on basketball reference. And I'm just listening in my ear to Mark to make sure, you know, the Knicks aren't going on a run to put the game in jeopardy. Um, but in a lot of ways, like those are some of my favorite games to be a part of, even though I'm, I'm sitting 15 feet from the players and, and not really looking at them because the ability to tell, you know, a, a story with, how he's playing with historical significance like that um, is just one that, you know, I, I have a lot of fun finding those type of nuggets and looking them up and, and trying to explain, okay, everybody knows 2020 is good, but here's how good it is in back-to-back games. And here's how good 20 points and zero uh, turnovers are. And the, the guy just continues to prove that this year, the jump he's taken is not, an early season streak or an early season fluke where something like what 40% the way through the season, maybe not quite there, but um, you know, we're to the point now where this is for real. And and this guy's averaging, you know, I was looking this up too. I mean, is if this season continues anywhere near this pace right now, he's averaging 12.7 assists per game. Um, I think only four or five guys have done that too. It's Stockton, of course, and it's magic. Uh, and the and then the one Kevin Porter's name has come up a ton because he had one season and one stretch where he was uh, phenomenal. Uh, and I'm trying to think of I think one more guy Isaiah Thomas has maybe had more than 12.7 also. But you're talking about a season's worth of work that if he could keep that up anywhere near the number it is, it's sensational. I mean, he had 11. <laughs> he's playing so well that he had 11 assists in Milwaukee, and that technically brought his number down. But <laughs> I, I guess I said earlier, like the most important thing for the success of the team this season to me is can they get the defense out of the gutter? But still, the most important thing for the future of this franchise is was Tyrese Halliburton going to take another step? You know, he was probably playing at an all star reserve level last year, which is what he was. And now he's playing at an all star starter level this year. The term star and superstar, you know, I don't love because it depends on where you draw the line. But all-star starter versus all-star reserve is a is a pretty finite line. And he, you know, is clearly elevated his game another step, which has massive positive implications for the franchise. And frankly, you know, any player that's that's sitting on another team that's maybe not thrilled with their situation, who wouldn't want to come play with a guy, even if it's not in your first choice for a city, who wouldn't kind of want to come play with a guy? who gets 11 assists in a game and it drops his average. It's, it, it's, it's been spectacular to watch and it's been a lot of fun to watch. And with the defense coming back up, you know, the hope is that if they can just keep it, you're right. They're not going to be top 10, but they can't be bottom five. Either. And I think if they can find that middle ground and keep Halliburton this efficient, they're going to really like where they finish the season. Um, but I, I do think this month of January massively important because it's really, really challenging and you can't fall off a cliff. I, I think this is a, a month where you're fine with treading water and then maybe trying to make, you know, a, a dash in February and March, which is why I, I do think the Milwaukee game was so important. You've got a long ways to go. And by the way, a nugget I meant to use earlier, the Pacers have not played 17 games in a month since March of 2013. And they've only played more than 17, like three or four times in franchise history. And one of those years was a strike year. Um, so you're, you're talking about as busy of a month as the Pacers have ever had. Any of these guys have ever had. Um, and you're talking about a month with tons of high level competition. So off to a good start for sure. Absolutely. And that practice that I mentioned, it probably will be the last practice in quite some time. There's an opportunity perhaps next week to get a practice day in maybe on Tuesday or maybe Thursday before the plane leaves for Atlanta. But there is only one, one time in the month of January where the team has consecutive days off. And to me, that's the only time you can really catch your breath in an NBA season, because if you have a back-to-back, it takes you that day off after to just sort of, you know, catch your breath. 
But then if you play the next day, I mean, you're just back into it. And if you play every other day, often sometimes you'll have a practice in between. But the full day off and then another day to practice before playing in games is when you can catch your breath. And the Pacers got that in on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And that's the other marker, the, the, the line in the sand, if you will, um, that we drew from the, the day between the Clipper game and the Hornets game. But then also Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, the late flight to Houston, that's when the starting lineup changed. And so those were two sort of important times. In January, the only time that this team has back-to-back days off, of all places, they will spend those back-to-back days off in. <laughs> they are in you – know? uh, they're, they're, they're on the, they're on the uh, Sacramento. Sacramento, the, <laughs> the best place to spend an off day or two in, on the entire NBA calendar. I'm being a little facetious. And I think it's improved over the years, so I don't need any Kings fans to come after me if, if you happen to stumble upon this podcast. Uh, but it'll be after a back-to-back that is a Denver afternoon, then Utah Monday night, and, and then you have a Tuesday and a Wednesday off in Sacramento before, get this, playing a Sacramento-Portland back-to-back on Thursday, Friday. So that's a grueling road trip. And if you had not seen this team make the Vegas, then five games or four games after that road trip, this would be the one that you pointed to as being the challenging one on the schedule. Uh, when you were talking about Tyrese Halliburton, I did want to offer one additional thought and maybe even a challenge to both you and anyone listening to send some suggestions our way, because it, it, it's maybe a, a question I should ask sideline reporters or media that have spent a lot of time covering the Warriors or let's say LeBron James, whether in Cleveland or Miami. We are not two full years into this Tyrese Halliburton experience, and he is such an important part of the team, but you have to be careful to not oversaturate your content and your broadcast with just this one player. And I'll give Tyrese a lot of credit. We're not even to the halfway point of the season, but there have been these two stretches of of the the kind of nights or back-to-back games that we really rely on your expertise on uh, the, the two games in Philadelphia with the uh, assist and zero turnovers, and then now the two 2020 nights that you can't you can't gloss over. I've said it a few times on Twitter. Fans should not take this for granted because what he is doing is not normal. However, you can't come on every pregame show or every game broadcast and in your first segment tell your viewers how great Tyrese Halliburton. At the same time, I can't interview Rick Carlisle before every game and start off asking him a question about what Tyrese Halliburton is doing well. <laughs> and to his credit, he had just answered three questions about Tyrese Halliburton in Milwaukee. And then I taped my interview and I, I saw it coming. I just didn't have a good way to, uh, to change because it had to be asked. I had to bring it up after he had those two straight 2020 nights. And he was really interested in not giving one player too much credit and saying what he has done is good. But what makes it good is what it's doing for the team. And then even even a follow-up question about Miles Turner's offense was elicited a team-related response. So I'll file that away. I'll, I understand that this is still a team. And what you saw then on the court was a team effort, a, a, a game the bench really came to the rescue and won you that game against the Bucks. And for any of these individual players to really be recognized – it has to be in wins. You have to be a top, let's say, six team in the Eastern Conference to get a postseason type of award. To to be in that all-star mix, I mean, I think Tyrese is a lock right now. But to be a starter, I think in the next two weeks, you got to still be fourth or fifth. Because if Tyrese Maxey is one of the guards, and he's up there where the Sixers are in third, and then the vote goes between, let's just say, Tyrese Halliburton and Damian Lillard, I obviously think that that the backcourt position should go to Halliburton. But if you're if you're around seventh or eighth and the Bucks are in third and you've done it longer like Damian Lillard has, maybe he doesn't start. So I don't think that the fans should be disappointed either way with what happens. Um, I'm pretty confident he's going to represent this city and this franchise well in the All-Star game. But it, it gets back to the big point. To be recognized in an elite level, you've got to have the team's success. And so, um, you know, it's our challenge. It's our goal to continue to highlight the amazing individual accomplishments while fitting it under the umbrella of 
the team. And uh, I think we do a pretty good job with that. But at times it can be it can be difficult. Yeah, it's a good problem to have, but it really is, you know, it is a bit of a challenge because how many years, and look, that's not to suggest the Pacers haven't had stars. Paul George had a great run with the Pacers. Oladipo had a terrific couple of years. Uh, Sabonis, you know, had, had a few terrific years. And and of course, those players were oftentimes the subject of our podcast. It's such a, it's such a fascinating dichotomy of he's oftentimes individually like point A, B, and C, but at the same time, you know, there, there's a quote that Rick Carlisle has said that I have written down in my notes to kind of use whenever it becomes pertinent. It's simple and it's short, but balance for us is key. And from the Pacers perspective, balance is vital because they don't have another player playing at, you know, a superstar level or maybe even an all-star level right now, although you can maybe make a case um, when you include what Turner's doing defensively. Uh, but Halliburton just is so important to what this team does. And big picture, that's obviously something the front office will be working to figure out. But I think the fact that they're sitting here at 18 and 14, 32 games into the season, um, and they have had just really good balance and really good consistency. And as you talked about in Milwaukee, the bench was massive. I mean, for large stretches, it was, and even for some of this, Tyrese wasn't playing all that well in the first half. The bench kept the boat afloat. And so that's been, you know, an important storyline. The depth of this group is an important storyline. I think as you move around the starting rotation, my biggest concern was typically the Pacers bench has had to outplay opponents bench for them to have a chance. In fact, I don't know if it's still the case, but a week, a week and a half ago, the Pacers were winless when their bench was outscored. Now, the flip side of that is it had only happened, I think, five or six times. But it was pretty much an automatic loss if your bench didn't outplay theirs or at least outscore theirs. And some of that is they get more minutes, of course, and that was the case against Milwaukee. But, yeah, the, the bench, again, was, was massive uh, in that game on Monday. And somebody who we haven't spent a ton of time talking about, it's been an interesting year for him. He started the year in the starting lineup, kind of moved to that second unit, um, has had some nights that he looks like a superstar, some nights where he looks like a second-year pro. And I'm, of course, talking about Benedict Matherin. And, and my guess is this is a typical ebb and flow for somebody in his position. Um, you know, I, I'm not too worried. I think if you look at a lot of – players that end up being really good in the NBA, like the sophomore slump is a real thing. And that's not even totally to say that Matherin is having that because from an efficiency standpoint, he's not having a down year from a defensive standpoint. He's not having a down year. Uh, I really think a lot of it is there's just more around him and he's learning to play with it. Uh, but, but in a game like Monday, I thought it was really uh, op, you know, optimistic, made me really optimistic and really impactful to see you know, after Halliburton, maybe McConnell, who was fantastic, too. Um, but Matherin might have been the biggest driving force that got the Pacers that win. Yeah, and one of the quotes that I have written down that I don't know that I've shared in a broadcast, but I know has been out there was what Tyrese Halliburton said, I believe, in the locker room after the win against Detroit, because that was one of Benedict Matherin's really good games. And he said, year two is tough. And he was acknowledging everything that comes at you uh, when you have a little bit of a body of work and teams adjust to you and you're still not quite at that level of, I'm not going to say confidence, but just you're, you're not quite at your, your NBA peak and you're still growing, you're still learning. Um, a lot goes into it. And Tyrese Halliburton, he remembers his second NBA season. Now he had even more challenges because he had – uh, a trade in the middle of it, but uh, there were ups and downs. Probably go back and look at the game logs from his second season. And I know there were some where he really burst onto the scene in Sacramento, but there were some off nights as well. And sometimes when you have, remember the award that Benedict Matherin won at the end of November? I remember the team recognizing him during a practice at the University of Utah. He was the NBA Rookie of the Month for the very first month of his NBA career. And so this is someone who came in with big goals and dreams. And, it, and the way he started, you thought the sky is the limit. And it's tough to be brought that back down to earth a little bit. Uh, there was probably the way that season started. And I remember some people talking about the team and the future and the building blocks. And I think that there were a number of people who thought at Thanksgiving of last season, that as you project this team forward, that there was a chance that, that Benedict Matherin 
was your A superstar player, and then maybe Tyrese Halliburton was the complimentary piece. And I mean, it, that that sounds kind of silly to say right now, but it just shows there still is so much potential for Benedict Matherin, and it's been fantastic to watch what Tyrese Halliburton has done in the last two seasons and taken that spot as, you know, overused cliche, quote, face of the franchise, unquote. Um, but it's what he is right now, right? I mean, you say Indiana Pacers, you think of Tyrese Halliburton, but one player doesn't make a team have success. And so I still think Benedict Matherin is the kind of player that can really be a cornerstone starting elite level player in this league for a long time. And he's only in his second season. And we have, when he has an off game or when it just doesn't look completely in sync, you just have to take a step back. And while you hope for improvements at times, you have to acknowledge that sometimes it will take time. And then you see what he did against the Bucks, and sometimes that patience is rewarded. That's not a win without Benedict Mather. I mean, it's probably not even – it's not a win without T.J. McConnell either. But those two guys were awesome. And that, you know, to, to bring it back to the way we started this podcast, that's what made a night like that in Milwaukee so much fun. And how many games have the Pacers now won this season? Are we at uh, 18 and uh, – 17 and 13, is that, that the record? No. 18 and 14. 18 and 14. 18 wins, at least 11 or 12 of them, have just been a joy to watch. I mean, they just haven't been average wins. So I'll give this team a lot of credit. If you haven't been tuning in, please make plans to join us. There's still plenty of time. The bandwagon has room for you. And five <laughs> straight games at home. And I know sellouts were the norm over the holiday break. This still feels like a holiday week. It always has for me because the the you know when when your birthday is the January second, New Year's January second, it's all wrapped into one. And then my kids don't even go back to school till January 9th. So I think the holidays are still ongoing. Well, you've got time to celebrate your holidays uh, at Gambridge Fieldhouse. Although it might be tougher to get a spot <laughs> based on what I've seen from the ticket supply. But if you can find a way to get in, get in over this five game homestand. If not, watch us on television or consume on the radio and, and support this team because if they can then follow this four-game win streak off up with, let's say, four out of five or at minimum three out of five, you're in a really good spot to go into this challenging five-game road trip. Yeah, and I think, you know, the talk of just where the building is right now, I think really kind of expresses where the fan base is. I mean, it, it seems like every single night you're looking up into the corners of the balcony and you're saying – Okay, this isn't a sellout, but it's really, really close. Or you're saying this is a sellout. And that's been the case for the last couple of weeks. Certainly over the holidays always is a better draw. Um, but even, you know, in the stretch before that, the couple of weeks before that, the turnout's been just tremendous. And as you said, the games coming up this week, I you know, I don't have the ticket number in front of me, but I just have the, you know, the general idea of of how ticket sales are going, which is I think all three of these have a shot to be sellouts or, you know, within within uh, a few hundred of getting there, the third, the fifth, and the sixth, I know though that's all true for a fact. And the reality is this five game homestand that the Pacers are having, you know, if you would have said, okay, you've won four straight and now you've got five straight coming on at home, you'd, you'd say, okay, this is really your chance to create some separation between the teams below you and really make a push. Well, when it's Milwaukee, Boston, Boston, Atlanta, this is out, not in order, but Milwaukee, Boston, Boston, Atlanta, and then the, the Washington game you obviously feel good about, you've got three of those five games you're probably going to be the underdogs in, uh, depending on you know any changes in the injury report. As long as both teams are full strength, you're probably going to be underdogs in three of the five and the Atlanta game is just it's always a wild card it always feels like kind of a coin flip to me so I think that'll be a key one um, you, you know maybe maybe the pivot game in all of this and of course uh, you hope if you handle your business correctly you should take care of Washington and you go as you were just talking about on the road for uh, <laughs> what seems like forever and you don't want to be going into that trip um, you know, feeling like you've lost all of this momentum. So I, I always try to avoid as much as I can and maybe even sometimes at, at a fault uh, to a fault of being prisoner in the moment and trying to avoid that. Um, but I do think what this team has done in these last four games, this last week plus, they put themselves in a really good spot. Right now, there's a lot of distance between themselves and 11th, which is the team that is the first to miss the in-season tournament. But realistically, for me, 
going into the year, I would have said being in the top eight is the goal. And if not, um, you maybe still could accomplish your goal by making the playoffs, but it's a lot harder in the ninth or the 10th spot. And right now they're in sixth, but they're, you know, I think just a half game ahead of eighth, but they're also not too far um, behind fifth and, and even potentially fourth there as well. So you know, I think it's maybe safe to say, at least in my opinion, this five game homestand followed by the road trip the next couple of weeks I don't want to say it's the pivotal stretch of the season because I think we'll be talking about a lot of really important stretches and games in March and into early April. But I think if you maybe pinpoint two, three, max four stretches on the schedule, at least right now, I would probably put this stretch coming up in there as most important of the year. Well, what would you, where would you put the stretch that's that's just completed then? Yeah. Above or below? (laughs) <laughs> well, before they won four straight, I, I would have said the month of January is that that early stretch is, is more important um, just from a standpoint of how challenging the games are. But what you've been able to do in these last four, uh, I think I think potentially sets you up for if 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 you can just I, what, let me put it this way. I think it allows you to tread water in January and feel good about yourself. And I don't think if you had won these four that you had you gone one and three in this stretch, you're looking at January being much, much more daunting. I do remember having this discussion. I think it was with you maybe a month ago and saying uh, the seeding or the the way this season ends up could be whether you have one of these long win streaks or losing streaks, because you're going to you're going to win two out of three. Then you're going to maybe lose a couple. And there is a lot of back and forth. But if you could have one. You know, you might have one five, six, seven game streak. And if it's a winning streak instead of a losing streak, that will be the difference in to me being a, a, a top five or six team and being a team that is going to have to fight through the play in. And now you've won four in one of the stretches that may have been considered the most unlikely four game win streak. Three of them on the road against teams that were playing really well in their own building. And then one of them uh, against the next team, maybe you caught a break due to the trade and, and the shorthanded nature, but there's nothing to apologize about that four game win streak. And what that does, when I just mentioned, if you could go three and two at minimum on this five game homestand, that's kind of where you approach it, no matter who you're playing. Now, if one of the teams is the Bucks and one's the Celtics, then you maybe are even feeling even better about going three and two. But when your four games over 500, and if you do get to three and two, what does that mean? That means you go to the road trip at five games over 500. And, right. and 500 is sort of that, that barometer where you got to be on the right side of 500 instead of the other side. And the longer into a season, the more games above 500 you are, you can start to make realistic hopes and plans on real playoff games. And so that's why I think that four-game stretch was so phenomenal. Now, a two-game series is treated a little bit differently to win in Milwaukee, if you drop this game on thir- or on Wednesday to the Bucks at home, maybe that win doesn't mean as much because then you could say, well, if you'd have lost in Milwaukee but then won at home, it's pretty much the same thing. And I, I'll acknowledge that. I get it. Uh, but it's, I said, you know, one against the Celtics. I forgot. Two against the Celtics. Yeah. I, really will, I really will take three and two over the next five. I would think that. If you could go to that road trip five games over 500, you'd be in a really good spot. But what if they also win in Milwaukee? And then what if they do have a five-game win streak? And what if they're able to, over the next week, put together six or seven in a row? That is the kind of stretch that can give you that cushion you're talking about. Now, you don't want the players to ever play where they're thinking they've got cushion because as soon as you, um, as soon as you have this good feeling, you can, you can let it go. But – uh, I think what they just did over the last week is going to really serve this team and help them out um, for where they want to be in April. Yeah, and, and here's exactly why that this past week is so important, because you're coming up with that five-game homestand where you have Bucks, Celtics, Celtics, Hawks, Wizards, which you just talked about. Then you go on the road for half a month. <laughs> you're at Atlanta, at Denver, at Utah, at Sacramento, at Portland, at Phoenix, And then what happens when you finally get off of that long road trip? You get one day to get your clocks readjusted and you host the world champion Nuggets. And then after that, you host the 76ers and you host the Suns. And then you've got John Morant with the Grizzlies. 
And then once that home stands over, you get the nice reprieve of going on the road and playing the Celtics. It is yeah. brutal. <laughs> it, is, it is brutal, which is oh, why, I, you know, I'll, I'll close this saying, look, your your point is is very on about you, you don't want the players to think you have a cushion and you don't want the players to have this mindset but you can sign me i guess they can't have a 500 uh month with with 17 games but you can sign me up for close to 500 in this month look it's it's all going to even out and it all evens out right the pacers just have it very concentrated in this one area but if if we're talking a month from now and the pacers are around four over I think they'll be in a great spot because the schedule gives and the schedule takes, and, and it will give again. 1-0 in January. So let's say right now when we're podcasting uh, on February 1st or 2nd, if you could end January either 8 or 8-9 eight or 9-8, and eight, you'll probably take it is what you're saying, correct? If you give me 9-8 and eight right now, where do I sign? Eight and nine, you're going to be like a little less enthusiastic. I'll be, I'll be, to be honest, I don't want this to come across as, not that this, not that this would get aggregated. I don't want to come across as Pat Boylan's cool with a sub 500. You're month. not going to make this the tweet quote. Uh, Pat <laughs> yeah. Boylan said eight and nine. <laughs> it, Pat Boylan says the Pacers should go for under 500. No, I, what I am saying is if they go eight and nine, I will be okay with that. With, with the strength of schedule in this month. I will be okay with that, and that's not saying the Pacers aren't you know, good enough to do better. It is saying the schedule's brutal, and if you can survive it, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay you back. It's going to pay you back with easier games, and the home games get you know, easier as well. Um, and so everyone has a tough stretch of schedule, and I do believe you know, one of the themes of having a good year is do you survive your brutal stretch, which everyone has. Uh, the Pacers, I think, passed a huge test this past week and a half with these four straight wins and put themselves in a position where, yes, if they do survive this, even if they don't thrive, it, if they just survive it, I think it'll put them in a position to have a finish to the season where they can thrive. Well, we've got to wrap up, but I will echo those sentiments. I'll say eight and nine is okay. As long as you can maintain a relatively clean injury report, because that will be the most important thing heading into February, March, April is the depth of this team is is really been a, a positive and stay healthy and and like you said win about as much as you lose now that you have a little bit of cushion and then make your run in February and March. All right, well that will wrap up this week's show. It's going to be a fascinating January. We'll be here to detail it with all of you. Pacers.com/tickets. Come and join us. Be a part of the environment. Be helped. Be a help here. Be part of the home court uh, advantage that the Pacers are going to have with a lot of tough opponents in the building. Pacers.com slash tickets, the Gamebridge Fieldhouse box office is also how you can purchase. For JJ, I'm Pat. We'll talk to you next week on the Sideline Guys, powered by Gamebridge.